0: The Minikam Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet, you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Minikam Show featuring Lenny, only NFL podcast. One of the hosts thinks pulling action is what Huskies do. That's Lenny. We had to make an offensive line-centric uh, joke at the start of this podcast because in place of dominique foxworth who is taking this tuesday off i am delighted to be joined by my friend first time guest friend of many friends of the show 11 year nfl vet super bowl champion uh there's a million things i could say about him but i'll just bring him in marshall newhouse thank you so much for joining us to recap a very exciting wild super wild card weekend.
1: yeah you gotta add the super i appreciate it thanks for having me here um my dog is currently taking a nap but I always pay homage to the person who really runs things Lenny and I would like to pay my you know respects and you know there's another another pup here who also pays his respects so I know we're bread is <laughs> butter but yeah thanks for having me
0: Um you guys can check out Marshall on Twitter at X or whatever you want X is like the super wild card of names I'm not gonna, I'm going <laughs> to refuse to acknowledge it um it's m newhouse 70 73 right 73 um Um, i will send that out um before we get started a little bit of housekeeping uh we're gonna do winners and, and losers woofs pardon me from every single game uh i am going to be in las vegas for the super bowl as i usually do to do nfl live and such and dominique foxworth and i are doing a live show actually bill barnwell is gonna be there kevin clark is gonna be there it is going to be extremely fun it is uh the thursday of the week before the super bowl which i believe is february 8th make sure i have that right actually and uh i haven't sent out a link yet so i'm telling you about it if you're a listener and you live in the area you can find tickets now i haven't publicized it yet at uh, bit.ly slash fox and it's gonna be at 5 p.m it is thursday february 8th at jimmy kimmel's comedy club So that's really exciting i'm excited to be there that's gonna be a lot of fun and um i I, there's a rumor that there might be hats there marshall i had the i did a live show in seattle with danny kelly and kj Wright a long time ago and we made hats and they're very hot ticket limited edition items so this they might be back for this show people
1: always they always poo-pooed you know when you won the division you all it's hats (laughs) and t-shirts game I love getting a hat and T-shirt. I tell you what, I knew that wasn't the end of the row, but I'm like, give me my hat and T-shirt. I'm putting that in the closet. I'm giving that to my nephew. Give it to me.
0: I actually wasn't familiar with all of the teams that you played for. It is so many. Yes. Um, yes. I, was, I don't remember which team you're on. Okay, so I thought of you this weekend. I, and in one of the games, we're probably gonna do this one. We're gonna go reverse chronological order. All right. But uh I don't know if anyone hit you up when I don't know how to describe this. Jo- Desmond King sort of tackled Joe Flacco and <laughs> spun around. On oh, I know him. where you're going
1: with this. Oh my kind god! Kind of like breakdancing
0: dancing style. So oh, I don't. What should people Google to see the video of? Can you describe? For people, Listen,
1: to- I'm not going to point people in the direction of, of one of the most infamous plays of my career, because you can find it if you just Google my name. But I am familiar with the, uh, the centrifugal forces that football can create on the field when, when guys are flying around. So I'll, I'll if, leave it at that.
0: You had the ball, which is <laughs> rare because you're an offensive lineman.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And right. it was sort of like a helicopter motion before the ball uh, came out, if I remember correctly. We did I, not know each know, other at the
1: time. I, I'm, I'm I'm, already panicking because I think I gave up a pressure strip sack, so I'm following the ball. It takes a fortuitous bounce high enough for me to scoop it, and I'm like, all right, let me get to the line of scrimmage. All right, I think I'm there. And things are moving just fast. Got linemen don't carry the ball often, and I'm like, all right, let me just trudge forward. I'll at least fall down forward. I have the ball. We live to fight another day. Out of the corner of my eye, because, you know, I've got running back in my blood. My dad played running back in college. My, my cousin, Robert Newhouse, played a full bite for the Cowboys in the NFL. It, it just takes over. Out of the corner of my eye, I see Kiko Alonso coming for my knee. I'm like, how do I avoid shattering my leg? And so I lift my leg up a little bit, but then physics takes over, and I spin, I fumble the ball, I land terribly, awkwardly, I like bruise, I had a huge contusion on my hip and on the spot where Kiko speared me. I fumbled the ball, and it's just, it ends up being just a horrible moment that I am laughing off still to this day. But it's like the Arthur Fist where I'm with people mention it. Yeah, I'm laughing, but I'm also like, fight me, fight me. So it was,
0: it was a very memeable moment. Uh, I think just because you don't usually see people your size moving that way. Listen, and, you know,
1: you and, saw a, a tidbit of my athleticism, and I will always lean on that. When I eventually have kids, they're only going to see the first <laughs> part of me moving as fast as I could, and then I'm cutting the video. So that's that's all. all right. I mean. <laughs>
0: well, as embarrassing as it is, it's not as embarrassing as what's happening with the Philadelphia Eagles organization. Let's ooh, start there. Uh, so, like I said, we're going to work backwards. We're, we're going to start with the Eagles Bucks, and then work all the way back to to the browns who and the aforementioned breakdancing tackle on top of joe flacco um so we're rotating who we gets to do the winner who gets to do the woof. i gave you the winner for this game uh i think we should start with the woof, though and there's no disrespect to the bucks because I, I there's a lot to say about them and i think um obviously that season's been really exciting but this is this feels like such a pivotal moment for the Eagles franchise and it's a moment that's obviously the culmination of now several weeks losing six of the last seven games and whatnot and and it got to the point where Dominique and I would almost get tired of like putting the Eagles in our losers or wolves column on Tuesdays we were just like it's the same stuff it's the same stuff um but I think what struck me Marshall and, and in this respect I think you have the Cowboys in that game well, assuming you're going to have them, someone from there as, as a loser. I, I'll i start here. This felt worse to me than the Cowboys loss. Mm. Um, maybe not worse than that. Like the Cowboys loss is worse because that team probably should have gotten farther and, and whatnot. But worse for me in that, like the Cowboys got, I thought, outcoached. And we'll talk about that. And the quarterback had a bad game. The Eagles watching them not only were they out coached and unprepared on both sides of the ball it also felt like they were just out efforted and it's like i mean this this is a team that really limped to the finish line and i think just to see something i i there was some part of me that was like they gotta go into this game with a better plan for the blitz and jalen hurts has to you know be more poised under pressure and maybe carry the football more. And the defense can't miss as many tackles. Like none of those things. It can't be as bad as it's been. And it was actually worse than I expected in all of the ways we, it was like so predictable and that I think takes us to now we're taping this on Tuesday, January 16th. I don't know what's going to hit your ears. There are legitimate questions about the future of Nick Sirianni in Philadelphia. And I don't think they're crazy. Like, I really don't. Like, I after not just a loss like this, but a string. I mean, that we're definitely going to move on for both their coordinators, I think. But at a certain point, like, he really deserves responsibility for everything that's gone wrong.
1: It's truly just a wild chain of events that they had built up so much benefit of the doubt yeah, after their good. Super Bowl run and them building this thing up. Because, you know, Jalen Hurts was an unproven just over a year ago. And so he goes from unproven to... A QB that you could take that can take you to the Super Bowl. He gets the massive contract. That now you lose all the leverage of a young QB on a on a rookie deal. And but you assume that at at minimum they're going to be a team that's well constructed. Their foundation is set. And then regardless of if they win or they go on runs or not, you know they'll be there competing for the foreseeable future. To now, the last six weeks, we don't know who this team is. I don't know if they this team knows who they are. Um, I, I was texting a friend of mine, Jeff Schwartz, so you know, just about. I wish someone had the confidence in me that people seem to continue to have in Matt Patricia because I don't, I'm not sure uh, what he brings to the table because all I see is an Eagles defense that is a poorly stringed together defense, poorly tackling, poor effort. I mean, that long run, that long uh, run after the catch. Yeah. For Tampa, that was a touchdown. We saw multiple guys not wrap up, not right. we call it a vice where you 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 play with the guy inside of you or outside of you, and you just you squeeze the the ball carrier to tackle him. Multiple times where the angles were just awful. And then Where was Bradley oh,
0: Roby going on that? And then he's an NFL player. He's played for years. Like I don't. Right. I I mean, I was crazy. I yeah. I was like, I feel like, and, and they're not. These are veterans.
1: Yeah. These are stars. I mean, James Bradbury looked lost. I mean, he he might be at the end of his career. I, I played with him in Carolina. He's a great guy. I really thought he was an underrated corner for, for a long time, and he's now found a new home and got his deal, but he, he looked lost. I mean, there were multiple tackle for losses that just slipped out of his hands that turned into explosives, and time and time again, this Eagles defense looked just out of it. They looked a little bit checked out, and you're like, all right, you give a team a pass that made the Super Bowl run last year. At Towards the end of the season, they're not playing well. Okay, you can chalk that up to a lot of different things. But you hope a group of veterans like that. We always talk about the switch being flipped. Some people, that, that is a legitimate thing where you're like, all right, guys, let's stop screwing around collectively. You know, in practice, we're, we're on it a little more. The intensity goes up, the urgency goes up, and you can feel it. And guys ultimately perform. And sometimes it, it results in a win, sometimes it doesn't. But this Eagles team didn't look like they responded to poor performance for six weeks in a row. And I don't know how you chalk that up to anything other than a lack of leadership or accountability. And we're not inside the locker room. We don't know exactly what it was, but it showed itself on the field. Um, this, this Eagles defense, listen, Baker Mayfield and Tampa, most of the season were average and a lot. I, I think Baker is kind of a comeback player of the year candidate. I've loved his season. I love the fit there. I think, they're going to re sign him. I think that's a good move for them. I love Todd Bowles getting a little bit of vindication as a good coach who's, they made the playoffs, they eked in in a, in a very weak division, but they're still a, a team with, with, with pieces. Tristan Wirf's, uh, is now your, your franchise left tackle and you can build from there. I like Tampa a lot, but there's no reason, there's no reason why Baker Mayfield should be throwing, uh, all over the field. Baker almost threw a couple of picks. I mean, it wasn't, they didn't play flawlessly, but to still play like Tampa played at, the, at, their, at their baseline. I don't think Tampa played out of their minds. They played how they've kind of been playing and what they've been able, they yeah. played fine. They played fine. But the Eagles looked like they just kind of allowed things to happen. And it looked like a team of guys that were all looking to the left and the right, like, oh, he'll make the play. He'll make the play. And, you know, credit to Devontae Smith. He finally was like, guys, I'm going to make the plays. I am yeah. i don't know what everyone else is doing. I'm going to be the guy. I'm going to get open. I'm going to make explosives. I'm going to make somebody miss. Um, Fletcher Cox looked like guy. You know, Jalen Carter looked like guys who were trying to make a difference. But you need 22 of those. You don't need... It can't just be three guys who have it turned on.
0: Milton Williams had a big play. I mean, th- there were a couple... You know, a few flashes here and there. Um, but... And I will. I'm gonna ask you for about the Bucks in a second. I think th- it was maybe on the very first drive when, and I don't remember what down it was, but Bowles sent a six man brusher as he does, and Hertz just through a go ball, like a, pr- a prayer. And, and I, and coming into this game again, I was like, there's no way they're not going to show us something different versus the blitz from what we've been seeing all year. We know this quarterback has not been good against the blitz. We know that's been an issue over the course of his career and it's gotten dramatically worse this season. We also know that like, you know, the, um, he often, he doesn't even have hot route like there's like no one underneath available to him or if they are it's it's doomed to fail or it's like a prayer downfield um it was such an insult to injury that like baker ended up throwing that final touchdown versus like mm-hmm. the Blitz. because i was just like god like yeah. this has just not been there for philadelphia the entire game and yet to see that come to fruition like again in such predictable fashion was just jarring i i don't i i, I could not Saddling. I expected
1: so much more out of Brian Johnson. I mean, I, I yeah. thought he was ascendant. Like, he felt like – I i know him familiar for years because he played at Utah. I was at TC. We played each other in college. And I, I was paying attention to his rise as a coach. And just the way he handled himself as a young coach, I'm like, he's got a future, a bright future. And you get him in a place with a quarterback like Jalen Hurts, it feels like it – that was the type of quarterback Brian Johnson was. And it feels like, all right, there's some synergy here. There's some connectivity here. They've got everything that you want to be a dynamic offense. And then just in the simple chess checkers game that is offensive coordinators versus defensive coordinators, it felt like he just st- stood pat too often. It felt like he was he was like, all right, they're going to continue to correct and correct and correct. And eventually my, you know, my MO was just going to win out. And I'm like, that's not how this works. These teams are trying to take away what you do best. Then they're going to take away the second thing. So what is your third, fourth, fifth thing um, to get, uh, you know, Deion- Devontae Swift, excuse me, DeAndre Swift, the ball in space on screens.
0: They never, made, they refused to do that the entire I, season. I, it makes sense.
1: I, I, it sense. I was like, that's, you yeah. call a slow screen. It's a very simple play. It requires timing and practice and repetition, but that, that is the base layer of, of challenging, blitzing, a six-man rush, a pass rush, just out of the gate. And it felt like they wouldn't even do that. And it just, it was kind of jarring to me.
0: Which is perplexing because you're, men are so good at moving in space. you got maybe
1: the most athletic meant for screens and in space center in the game in this generation, who now sadly we, we hear is going to retire oh, Yes, um, his last game. Sorry, uh, I stepped on something that was. But you, you've got him as a weapon. How often do you hear of a center being described over his career as a weapon? He's a weapon. And it just didn't feel like that was ingrained into their game plan.
0: Well, I should have mentioned that at the top, Jason Kelsey, the Eagles Hall future Hall of Fame center, announced his retirement. Um, you know, when I talked about this kind of being a pivotal offseason, I think, uh, you know, you you still have a lot of talent on offense um, defensively. And I think maybe just to kind of put a pin in this here, like what needs to be done. So I I, I will see what happens with Sirianni, man. But like, I, let me just put it this way. If he's replaced, I don't think it would be shocking, especially given the caliber of coaches who are available. Right? Like it's it's mm. it's. Um, but what we're talking about to me is so. Whether it was like the panicked uh, elevation of Matt Patricia, the fact that Sirianni, who has been a play caller, never stepped in, or if he did step in, it didn't work out to change things. It all ultimately does fall at his feet. So if he's replaced, sure. I, but it, but if he's not, they need to change the coaching staff. And I think the biggest there's there's two tasks really for Philadelphia to you know try to get competitive again per, defensive wise you got to get younger and better in the secondary linebacker obviously is an issue um, and then so that's more about personnel and you need competent coaching clearly and and something fell apart there but that's I think from this off season you bring in someone you know but personnel offensively I just think. This weekend to me, Marshall, and and we don't even need to get into this because we're going to get into it with the other games was such a stark showcase for offensive play callers who help their quarterbacks Mm. with scheme. The young quarterbacks, we're going to talk: Houston, Green Bay, Detroit, who's not a young quarterback you when you see that and then you watch the eagles where it's so it's so static it's just this spread we're going to beat you we've got our guys you can't do that anymore and you're not talented enough to do that when you don't have a quarterback who can run and change the numbers the way he did last year so whatever happens to the eagles this offseason they need to recognize that the, this offense needs a dramatic overhaul to help the quarterback. Cause you're the quarterback still gonna be your quarterback.
1: As unstoppable as the tush push was all year. It's amazing. That, that seems like a band aid that covered the inequities mm-hmm. of this offense for, you know, how many times they, they successful successful, I think 17, 18 times this year on the tush push that 17, 18 reps that we don't even know what they would have called. We're not even sure what they would even been mm-hmm. thinking to convert these fourth and down fourth down and short third down and short opportunities. And you mentioned these other guys from the Shanahan McVay tree, there's a common theme. And yeah, they're all baking a little bit different of a dish, but they are catering to the strengths of their personnel from a game-to-game basis. They are protecting, if they got a weak spot on the line, they're protecting him with play action. If they got a, a rookie young quarterback, they're getting him under center early and throwing play action, giving him check downs, giving them opportunities, easy completions. And then that what we're doing is they're they're flipping the old. You know you know you run to open up the pass on its head where we're, we're making teams defend every square inch of the field yeah. and then we hit you with with a, with a behind or we hit you with a with a crossing tight end who seals on a zone play and you've got gashes you've got seven eight yard gains you're moving the chains i'm looking at the stat line and we'll get to it later uh cj stroud and jordan love only threw the ball each 21 times It wasn't like they were back there throwing, dropping back 35 to 40 times a game. These were efficient games being called. And Philadelphia all year just hasn't looked efficient. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what it will take for them to – and it's not changing your entire identity on offense, but we're just talking about doing the bare minimum of just smart things to put (laughs) your guys in a better position to win. And that, to me, just screams some arrogance. And, you know, people love Sirianni and – just his confidence and the brashness when they were winning. I mean, you've, we've seen him multiple times screaming at fans, walking off fields after they win. Does Are we now try, starting to see – I guess it's all subjective because we're not in the building. We're starting to see that that is a real arrogance that is blinding you a little bit to mm. fixing minor tweaking the things that are going to make your team successful. So right. we don't know.
0: Because these were problems from the beginning of the season, even when they are winning games. And I think that probably – papered over a lot, even though they you know, they were winning by small margins. The point differential wasn't there, but these problems were not new. Um, okay. The bucks give us, give us a winner from the buck side of things who are going to of course, move on to play the Detroit lions.
1: It's, it's gotta be Baker Mayfield. Um, you, you, you see his the last three years of his career, just the turmoil. And you know, the way that Cleveland fans treated him on his way out with a banged up sh- throwing shoulder just yeah. felt it felt so short-sighted to me um, when we know this guy can do everything you want to do when he's healthy. He, and he played through it, give him all the credit in the world. And then, you know, I, I had a lot of empathy for him the last couple of years. Cause I, there was a two year season span where I played on four different teams and I know what that's like. And I'm not a quarterback, but I also know what that's like. Um, to, he went across country. He, he came in the middle of the week Study the game plan, the bare minimum of a playbook, and start it in the game. I've done that before, literally in New England. It's 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 such a dr- dramatic shock to your central nervous system, and to do it at a QB at the QE position is a lot. So for him to take all that, channel all of those experiences, get to a place that feels like they want him. Now it wasn't a splashy signing in Tampa. Tampa's still reeling from the the vacuum that that is the absence of Tom Brady in the Super Bowl and want figuring out who they are. Uh, how Todd Bowles can lead, what they have moving forward. Now it, it, it pays to be in a division that doesn't, that seems allergic to winning. That helps a lot. Um, you know, you've got a, a one team that's, well, we'll call it two teams that seem in complete disarray. And then another team that's been kicking salary cap cans for it's a better part of a decade um, that we are not sure what kind of shape they're in. They're kind of settling for this mid tier performance and mid tier value from their quarterback in new Orleans. Um, and so it helps that your division was winnable. Um, but I give Baker Mayfield all the credit in the world for just, you know, we talk about, you know, guys always say, oh, I'm ignoring the noise. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to do my thing. And he truly just like went down to Tampa, Florida, little old Tampa, Florida was very quiet. They were winning games nine to zero and, and, and not in the most impressive fashion, but they win the division. You get a home playoff game. And I saw all the panelists picks, and they still felt like Philly was going to turn the switch on. And Tampa said no. Mm-hmm. Baker Baker from the first drive was Baker. I mean, I remember I saw him walking out doing the smelling salts. And he you could tell he was just in a different mindset for a quarterback that he still has a lot to prove. And he's got a lot to like there. And I think I like that fit a lot for them. Um, I think his price is going to be very affordable for them and reasonable for them to continue to build around him and build into that defense. And to me, Baker is, is a winner. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I mean, for, for him to go down there, have the season he'd had and then win a playoff game, regardless of what happens next is so beyond expectations and will probably lead to them keeping him around regardless of what happens the next round. I think that the, the highest compliment I could give him is watching this game when he dropped back, I was confident in him in a way i never felt confident in philadelphia right mm-hmm. like just the and you know I, baker's been fine i'd say he's been an above average quarterback this year there's been inconsistencies there's been games like against green bay where he was like lights out and, and, and you know there's been games where he's been he's had some misses downfield but in this game he, he looks so much more decisive as a passer than hurts uh yeah. he could have had more yards if evans hadn't you know had a couple drops dropped um so you know i think um they were yeah they i mean they were the, a very good moment for him i think this offense is really built around what he does well um you know having tight ends on the field the play action pass throwing over the middle of the field getting the ball out quickly um and well you know we'll preview the game next week but i i, I do have some optimism about them on that side of the football. Um, and and the team generally too, you know. I, I I there there's they they this was mentioned a lot during the broadcast when I heard it, just how they were in cap hell and how their GM Jason Light like how he's handled the post Tom Brady era and it really looks like they've successfully hit on some picks. Clyde Kansi was stupendous in this game. He was a prospect I really liked. He's been great all year when he's once he got healthy. Um, and then you have younger players, you know, and then the trenches on both sides of the ball. So. Big win for Tampa. Uh, they were the, clearly the better team, like you said. It's a great win for Baker. I'll get into the the matchup next week, but uh, the, yeah, it was. They're fun to watch. I, I enjoy. The Eagles were just so excruciating to watch. By the end, man, like it was just like both sides. I, I it just there's just there was no joy in watching them this year. <laughs> well,
1: Truly. yeah, that's a great way to put it. Like no joy, and like even teams that we've seen not play as well, but. They're, they're they're attempting to like stretch the boundaries of what football is. They're trying to you know innovate on what they've done and the Eagles felt compelled to just play this madden style drop back passing offense yeah. that that defensive coordinators have now said I hope that you do this. They're playing as much cover 4 and cover 6 as they've ever played, keeping everything in front of them and they're hoping that all you want to do is play 7 on 7. Play please Play seven on seven, we'll rally the ball, we'll tackle, you'll eventually miss a receiver, you'll eventually run a, a, a route short of the sticks, your pass protection will give up because you're not you're not varying the, the looks for the defensive lineman. There's a more pass dynamic pass rushes than there's ever been in the league. We'll get home eventually. And over, you know, just on aggregate over the course of a game, we'll win out. If that's how you want to play, we'll win out. You if you're not going to throw under center any play action, deep crossing routes, you're not going to, you know, take advantage of these pockets um, that are being created, uh, dial in the flats, uh, run at undersized linebackers. You know, we've seen this this swing from giant linebackers to cover linebackers, back to, you know, these cover linebackers and nickel who they're not as, as adept at, at tackling. We'll talk about Josh Allen later. Um, there's an entire swing and you choosing to not run at them over and over again and make them be honest throughout a game is yeah. playing right into these defensive coordinators' hands, and Philly has some soul-searching to do, absolutely. Well,
0: that's a good transition because my winner from Bill Steelers is running Josh Allen, not just Josh <laughs> Allen, running Josh Allen. Um, this is something I, – I mean, I I, I, I I mentioned this a lot, but it was obviously very much so on display in this game where he had the 52-yard touchdown run. Him with his legs in January, is just the great equalizer. And it is something that as the season goes on, they, they lean on more and more. Uh, and in the playoffs, whether it was you know Dorsey, Dable, or now Joe Brady, it's just a button that is always available for them to push. He is, and I think it's like, because we're in a moment with so many good dual threat quarterbacks, um, it's easy to like kind of lose perspective on each of them individually at times mm. i mean like if not for like if lamar jackson didn't play in this era i think josh as a runner would probably get more att- i mean it, it, we know we all know it gets a lot of attention but it's just so freaking effective i mean on the season he carried the football 111 times um of the c- quarterbacks who actually ran a fair amount he finished first in success rate so 67 of his runs were successful um, he ran for 45 first downs, uh, next-gen stats has this first down over expected. So like what, would you know, the expected first down based on where the defenders are and the blocking. And, uh, he's second only to Hertz, but Hertz has the, uh, tush push that kind of mm-hmm. bolsters those stats. Um, he is a fearless runner who actively seeks out contact and is too. Physical for most DBs to handle, frankly, mm. um, and 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 it just really changes the math for defenses. And it's something I mean, I'm going to talk about a lot with Kansas City, but that 52 yard run was a it was a all out blitz. They were playing man free. When he escapes, you're effed. You that's yeah. why you can't do that a lot of the times. You know, yeah. I mean, you have to. It's situational, but he's just a, a, a low dude like I I mean did you like h- how many quarterbacks would you even compare to him as a runner his style historically
1: I, I think you know I've been a fan of Bomani Jones for a long time and he said it when he first came out and he called him Jaheem uh Allen I but it that. was to allude to he is a ind- a unique individual but his closest comp was Cam Newton as far yeah. as a runner that people do not understand how big he is. I played in Buffalo at the beginning of the season in uh, 2018. People don't understand just the thickness, he's a thick boy, multiple C's of Josh Allen. Um, and when I think he's also kind of like this, you know, Marvel superhero that's realized I need to protect myself during the regular season, and when it gets cold and when it's nut cutting time, excuse my language. I know that I have a, 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 like a, a an absolute advantage when teams want to turn their back and play man um, or when there's one yard, two yards. To get. Cam Newton was the most unstoppable fourth and one, third and one weapon that there was. And Josh Allen, in a different degree, the, 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 the play, there aren't called QB runs like they did with with Cam Newton per se, but Josh Allen has decided I'm going to turn some of these into called QB runs because ultimately, I'm going to fall forward. Ultimately, your linebackers, your safeties, and your corners have or sometimes undersized to me by 20, 30 pounds have to try to bring me down. Oh, by the way, I mentioned this on Twitter during the game. He's starting to spam this gray area where we still want to protect quarterbacks as runners. You know, we, we got on Kenny Pickett um, oh, doing the, the fake fake. He's playing with the gray area in the open field of guys not wanting to – hit him in the head area, not wanting to be too physical, but he's 245 pounds with a head of steam. All right, then I'm going to go and try to tackle him. Oh, yeah, he can kind of juke me out. He can hit me around. Like, he's unbelievable, and he's I think it's clicked in his head. He's like, until the refs stop me, I'm going to spam this Super Mario until I get to the final stage. And, like, I I don't know what you do because these linebackers that we we drafted and we developed to cover Travis Kelseys of the world – to cover the slot receivers of the world, they're all running back. They're on their heels. And they're like, Oh, this guy behemoth is coming at me. And until he crossed the line of scrimmage, he's pump faking. Oh, he could still maybe throw the ball. And then he crossed the line of scrimmage. Oh, if I go and really try to tag him as a runner, he slides cause he's still oh, athletic. Yeah. He baits this, uh, pat, uh, you know, elite or what's it called personal foul against me against the player. And he's just toying with people. And he's like, uh, yeah, I threw eighteen interceptions in the regular season, but I that was just me like, how do I just get to the, the well, postseason? U- ultimately when they've gone this runs and when they were six and six, he's just like, How do we just get to the postseason feel? And they've been in the postseason for two months now.
0: Yeah, it it uh he just he, he checks down to his feet, basically. <laughs> his and that's it's just, yeah, I mean that it it that's just the truth and I, you make a great point about the mental aspect of it, and the rule. And he is a guy who also like calls for flags. You know, like is, <laughs> he, that's just him and Mahomes both do. They're both like they're the two greatest quarterbacks right now. They both do it. So it's neither like, of your fan bases people, can get mad at me for
1: got mad at LeBron for like you know not mad at him, but they said when you're a superstar, you've got to get to the yeah. point where you're not. There's no guilt or shame in being like, hey, I'm elite. People aren't gonna call fouls on me or throw flags unless I really kind of just like ask for them. And he's gotten to that point where he's like, all right, goodness. there's no, I, I don't care what you think of me. I'm just going to do it. There's no fine for flopping. There's no fine for faking it. And he's figured that part out for sure.
0: But I love your point about the linebackers, um, you know, across the league, there are a lot of teams where they, they do lack the size and physicality to stop them. The chiefs are a little different. They have mm-hmm. Nick Bolton's a very, he's a thumper. Schnall's no. a thumper. They've got really physical DBs. Uh, so I'll get into that more for that matchup. But in this matchup, his legs were a huge difference for them in this game. Um, Pittsburgh eliminated after squeaking into the playoffs. Who do? You, what is your pick for the Wolf for the Steelers?
1: The Wolf is just leadership of the Steelers because – and I'm not talking about Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin, who we, we just saw walk off the podium oh, when yeah. asked about his job.
0: Well, he also just <laughs> said there is somebody reported that he's he's coming back.
1: Yeah, and I was gonna, I going to say that, like he, you know, that was just him not wanting to deal with with a reporter kind of trying to drive a, a wedge. I'm sure in, in his mind, because um, he's he could be matter of fact like that. He's earned that right to some degree. Um, I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about what they do at, at their leadership position which we'd all know as the, as the quarterback um that's the loser because you have a guy in Kenny Pickett who you know you spent a draft pick on and you you, you knew that there would be some development there you, he wasn't a surefire thing we understand that but you've been a subpar team with him at your at, at, at the helm he's not processing well he is inaccurate and he has not gotten better and so you have a worry that a guy like Mason Rudolph, can come in, execute the offense, and at least get make give you contention as as a as an offense. You know you're leaning on your run a little more, but he's making simple reads that you're like Kenny Pickett. That's the stuff that we needed you to do if we're going to take a step. Yeah, yeah. We talk about Mike Tomlin always having a winning record, but eventually that Super Bowl that you won is a decade in the over a decade in the rearview mirror, being just above 500. Ultimately, you know what does that mean? And you can't do that. We now know with the AFC especially stacked the way it is without a game-changing quarterback. And so do you spend more draft capital on a a quarterback this year? Are you even positioned to? Do you hope that Kenny Pickett makes a leap, which he hasn't shown you to? Mason Rudolph can't be your long-term answer. And so without all those things, you are really just – you're designated to just be mid. And like yeah. mid, and when you're with a winning record, is is fun to say about Mike Tomlin because we all respect him as a coach and a leader of men. Um, guys like Ryan Clark who laud him all the time and rightfully so, but having no shot at making real Super Bowl noise um, to me wears thin really quickly. And you know he's gonna be there. He said he's gonna be there. If you're that ownership, you're the most patient ownership in in the, in the NFL, um, as evidenced by your history and coaching hires, but. Mm-hmm. What do you do without the game-changing quarterback? Um, your, your running back, Najee Harris, has proven that he can't be an every-down back, either from health or his production. So you've got a one-two punch with them. I like them a lot. Their offensive line has changed over the years. But, you know, and they've actually had a pretty decent year. But you had to fire your offensive coordinator, coordinator midseason, who was doing some Brian Johnson just, why are we running two goes and an option route in the middle uh, and not – getting our guys and giving them options. So, but then, you know, Sullivan, the, the guy who stepped in, he, he's done a little bit of better job, but w- what do you point to if you're Pittsburgh to say outside of TJ Watt, we are elite here. We can make a run here and we're set up for the future here.
0: Yeah. I, I think with Tomlin and by the way, you said, you know, you had to fire him in season. Well, it was Tomlin's mistake to retain him by Canada that long and yeah. that falls on him. Um and you know I've complimented some of the things I've seen from the offense in the last few weeks. I think the run game has kind of figured things out, you know, I talked about a little bit what they're doing with multiple tight ends, uh when they you know they started using a little bit more 13 personnel, mm-hmm. play action off of that. It, it became like a more functional offense, but it's still not good enough. It is mid. <laughs> they have talented young players um on both sides of the ball, Joey Porter Jr., Broderick Jones this year. You know, it, it, there's the foundation of something, but as you said, there there's uh, uh, until they figure out the quarterback and not just the quarterback the offense yeah. I mean as we talk about all these like incredibly creative fun offenses around the NFL if you're not competing in that way you're never going to compete with Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson and I think that's ultimately like where I come down on the Tomlin I, it, it there's uh, it made sense to me that he's he returned and I didn't think that he should fire him or anything like that however if he goes into next year with only Kenny Pickett and Mason Rudolph at quarterback, then I think you you actually can have that conversation because that would be a pretty crucial error. I thought he was fine. They were right to give Pickett a chance this season. I understand that. Obviously he got hurt, but then he wasn't playing as well. Yeah, you know, whatever. They give him the look, it's fine. You can't go into next season without. At least bring in legitimate competition mm-hmm. at the position for all the reasons we said. Now their pathways to doing so are limited. They're picking not you know at the top of the draft. Um, so we're talking about you know your Kirk Cousins's, your Russell Wilson's, your Justin Fields's, all of which are interesting options and that not I think cheap. they should consider. Not, and not
1: cheap, not yeah. cheap options. And you know I'm starting to come around. I'm having some sympathy for you know we we people kind of got on. George Pickens and Deontay Johnson for kind of throwing fits and bad body language. But you study the offense and you study the looks that where Kenny Pickett misses them wide open or Matt Canada has them running nine routes into cover four. And you can see why both those guys are just like fed up and yeah, they're young and maybe they don't have the right to express that as, as vividly and openly in public, but they're literally two dynamic playmakers. I think most teams would like to have on their team who aren't getting the ball in creative ways and they're, they're, they're showing it and being young. And I, I now come around to empathizing and sympathizing with them. I'm like, I get it. I get it.
0: Yeah. All right. What is your winner from Rams lions?
1: It's gotta be the Detroit. Everything. It's just got everything. Be. The city, everything. the ownership. I know. Well, I mean, we'll dial it down to Dan Campbell. Shout out Glen Rose, Texas. Um, that fan base—I mean, you saw the guy with the tears. It's just everything. It's just a long time coming. And as a former Packer, it was—it was enjoyable beating up on the Lions every year. It's just kind of a, a, a Thanksgiving game every other year that you got to look forward to. But um, as as passionate and loyal of a fan base as there is, um, that that stadium when it's rocking is this incredible home atmosphere, and just the way that Dan Campbell has put together this team. He was hired; they trusted him. He then hired former players. He trusted them. There's a clip going around of him, and I think in spring or training camp, asking the players to trust that you we're doing this f- for a reason. Mm. That many former players who have felt the aches and pains of two-a-days, felt the aches and pains of you know later week, padded practices. He gets it, and it's like he says in the clip: "Listen, there's a certain level of this that we have to have. We got to be able to tackle. We got to bring physicality." But I know when to take my foot off the gas. I know what you're going through. I know how to make you guys get to game day with with all of your ducks in a row feeling as best as you can. And it, that buy-in has taken just an incredible process of trust where the first year, yes, they struggle. The second year, knocking on the door, you see bits and pieces of what they're building. And this third year, actually breaking through and breaking that curse and Now with looking like they're going to be in the NFC championship, you know, barring just a wild performance by Tampa. We can talk about that, but um, I give everything all the credit to Detroit because, you know, it's easy to just kind of accept that there's, you know, a curse. We don't believe in real, really curses wink wink, but accept that that's just how things are going to be. Hire the same old kind of retread coach, make sure that that coach hires their same old retread coordinators, but no, you've got Aaron Glenn, who's getting head coaching, um, Interviews Ben Johnson, yeah. who got promoted from tight end, who's getting head coaching interviews. Deuce Staley as a, as a coach, Kelvin Shepard. I mean, all up and down, ex players who aren't just there because they're ex players, who Dan Campbell trusts, and you can see the way that they tackled. I, I mentioned while this game was happening, you could. It's not often you can feel the physicality, and football is physical no matter what. Any Sunday, it's physical. It was especially felt this game, the way that they were coming downhill pursuing on defense tackling um you could tell that they have full buy-in all over the place you trade yeah. for a guy like chauncey gardner johnson who's just uh you know he's one of those guys where you you always want to be able to pull a guy back instead of telling to sick him he's a guy you have to pull back but he's bringing physicality he's filling uh run rush lanes and he's talking his crap and i i absolutely respect that and you and then lastly the way they've built in the draft. I mean, the hits in the last three years, you've got arguably four all pro caliber guys, a a tackle, um, you know, a guy in Jameer Gibbs, who's going to continue to ascend. We're still not sure about Jamison Williams, but he's speedy. I'm on St. Brown. I mean, I'm on raw. I mean, they have such an ranch Hutchinson. I mean, the the hits they've had on via the draft. I mean, that type of stuff is how you build something sustained. And it's almost like literally their ascent has been a thing of blueprint heaven where teams are like, when we rebuild, this is how we want it to go. The first year you take your bru- bruises, you stink. The second year you start knocking heads, you show your physicality, you don't have the talent yet. The third year you're either on the cusp or you break through. It's like a thing of, of dreams for Detroit and for any team who's looking to rebuild like that.
0: Yeah, that I mean, it's and they did it all with with a, a quarterback who was seen as done, mm. who was a, a throw in a salary dump. Um, I think I'll just say this. I'll keep it quick because we're we're going a little bit long. I what I love about Campbell is he is confident in. What he knows, his team does well, and he has never wavered Mm -hmm. on that. Like with the fourth down stuff, it's like okay, it's one thing to do that when you're losing and you're just desperate, but when you're the favorite, Mm -hmm. when you're to win the division, when you're seen as a a dominant team, to still stick to that identity, like even in the disaster at the end of the Dallas game with the two point tries, you know, people maybe you. eh, I understood it's the third time or whatever he did it, you know, some criticism, but, but on the other hand, I was like, this is just who this guy is. And he has always been this guy. And on that final drive, after Sean McVay punted it back to him on that second down, when he put the ball in Jared Goff's hands mm. and asked him to throw Throwing. it, I freaking loved it. Yes. I loved it because not only did it indicate that he had faith in goth to XE ex- and that, you know, that's a throw. He's made to Amon Ross a Brown a million times, in the middle of the field. But also he recognized, hey, my offensive line, which is healthy now and was excellent in this game, will hold up. Mm. Jonah Jackson locked down yeah. Aaron Donald on that rep. You know, and the, the Rams sent like a five-man pressure and and Campbell leaned on the strength of the team, which is their pass protection, their offensive line, and and they rewarded him and I love that he did that. Um yeah it, I, it was it, it was an awesome win for the city awesome all around awesome i thought the defense really outplayed expectations in a number of ways that they were super good in the red zone that's going to matter a lot moving forward because uh, you know the story
1: of, the, of the game was red zone red Yeah, zone red zone, yeah. touchdowns that's it
0: well so, so so i'll just use my woof before we, we take a break um it's actually kind of what i hinted at uh i wrote because with the Rams, it's like they were the team also like, you know, they, they, nobody thought they would get here. So it's hard to ding them really outperformed on defense in particular. I think given that most, you know, it's like a lot of new rookies and unknown players, that, you know, I, I, but, um, I think for this game, you know, I, I, and this isn't, this is a, it's a little nitpicky, but I wrote Sean McVeigh, the game manager, mm. Sean McVay, brilliant coach, brilliant play caller, I think a brilliant leader however he did some things in this game that i think do stand in contrast to the stuff i said just said about dan campbell and i'm not talking about just like fourth downs or whatever although i don't the the punt so at the end he punted i mean more egregious than the punt i would say is the use of timeouts earlier that led them to that situation which is bad um i thought it was odd too that they didn't even try with a minute left in the first half to do, and he had all of his timeouts that then that I mean, was another it wasn't thing wasn't
1: like you have a second you know a second year quarterback in the line that's that's, that's right that's
0: you're the rams you're you've got you can you're so explosive what you're not going to try you know i thought that was weird and then the punt at the end you know 4 and 14 that's debatable but at that point you're already in there like 44 so it's like you're not playing the field position i mean it's i didn't really understand that either so ultimately I, he, he has a history of being sort of conservative sometimes with game management. Um, and I thought this in this particular game, it kind of bit him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the, the red zone speaks to that. And, you know, you have an end around to Puka Nakua. It looks like they're mm. forcing the ball to, to Cooper cup and Nakua in the red zone Yes, who are incredible receivers in the open field. But when, when that field gets shrunk in the red zone, yeah. they do not have the separation that you need from just like a quick twitch uh Caliber it just doesn't feel like those guys uh thrive in that situation especially in in the playoffs when teams really they're bracketing you everywhere you look those two guys have more have four plus eyes on them and so you know you, you the Detroit was incredible against the run all day and so you, I, I think Sean McVeigh felt like he didn't have that as an option even though Kyle mm-hmm. Williams was incredible all year he's he's walking around and whatever was that wrapped around his hand you can't trust that um and so yeah it felt like the the he kind of – he lost himself a little bit when they got in the red zone, and that's the story <laughs> of the game. Detroit stayed physical. They pounded the rock in the red zone, and they ran, it, they ran it up up the gut at Aaron Donald, who, you know, from an offensive line perspective, you could tell, as everyone does, the whole point was we red dot sighted. We call it putting a red dot sight on that guy. Um, and they were sliding to him. They had any guy who was free, he checked his down line, and he made sure the momentum was stopped, and he looked for 99. And, you know, teams all try to do that, but to do that effectively, it's got to be a concerted effort from all five offensive linemen, the running backs who chip on their way out and the tight ends who chip on their way out and the protections that you call. And so doing that versus a guy like that, and guess what? He's still going to win. They're still going to scheme him one-on-ones, but to keep him in check all game was an incredible feat. And you do that by running at him a little bit more, running the ball, sustained drives, and then scoring and making the Rams trying to catch you from behind in that way.
0: Uh, I love your point about the just kind of the red zone generally in the Rams. I think that's something I underestimated going into this game because I looked at this Rams offense and they're so explosive and the wide receivers are so good, and I thought they're going to cook this Detroit secondary. They're not good. The corners are not good. Yep. Uh, and that was true in the field, right? Yep. But when things tightened up and that space became constricted and I was watching, you know, some, some of the things you described, you know, the, the, the Lions' run defense is actually good and it has been good. Um, and then when, you know, cup and Nakua didn't have all of that grass to work with and things got a little bit tighter. Um, Detroit was able to get after Stafford some timely blitzes. I thought the like the blitz branch, uh, and got, I think it forced incompletion, they didn't get him, but, um, that advantage dissipated in that part of the field. And that's going to be, I think, relevant, especially, again, they're facing another team with two very, very good wide receivers and a, a worse running game than Los Angeles in Tampa. And I think that you might see that same dynamic play out where it's kind of like a bend-don't-break on
1: defense. Yeah, and, and to add on on McVay, too, and, and how he kind of changes a little bit, they're a team and an offense that motions and shifts pre-snap I'll, I'll say without looking at the stats eight out of 10 times. I mean, that is their MO <laughs> and you felt <laughs> yeah. in certain situations, he just overthought it on third downs and crucial moments. They went static and there was even one, uh, I forgot. I think it was third, or fourth quarter where they're going in where they quick snapped. It looked like the Detroit lions, they took what they thought was one-on-one coverage Against Cooper Cup on Chauncey Gardner Johnson, Matt Stafford throws kind of a, this back shoulder kind of high fade towards the pylon, and they rushed that. They didn't send anyone in motion, um, and they didn't do it. the things that they were doing to get guys open. And it felt like he just completely abandoned the success of what he had because he overthought. Like he he was trying to chess move it two steps ahead, and he he like he kind of st- stumbled over his own feet for, for for no reason. It felt like an unforced error to not do what you were doing mm-hmm. to reveal for Matt Stafford and the whole offense, what Detroit was trying to do, which led to so much success earlier in the game.
0: That's a great point. Um Still a great season for the Rams. A lot to build on. They're, Found they're in, a lot of young they're talent. Good, they're set up.
1: They're set up. That got cap space. Yeah. I mean, they've got, they had a, they hit on the draft, give Les Snead some money, let him cook. I, I like where they're heading. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, provided that Stafford, you know, keeps playing, sure. but uh Anyways, onward with the Lions. Let's take a quick break, come back, and we'll start with another NFC North team. Why should you bet with Caesars Sportsbook? Two words, Caesars Rewards. Every bet brings you closer to the types of benefits only Caesars can offer. Hotel stays, VIP experiences, sports and concert tickets, and more. It's not just a nap. It's an empire. 21 and older must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, or Washington, D.C. Sports vetting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Utah, and other states were prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Ohio, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. Or in Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp. Dot org. West Virginia, visit 1800Gambler.net. Arizona, call 1 800 Next Step. Colorado, DC, Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino. Call 1 800 522 4700. Indiana, call 1 800 9 with it. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call one 770 stop licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, if you or a loved one is experiencing problems with gambling, please call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org for 24-7 support. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. New York, call 877 8 HopeNY, or text HOPE-NY 467-369. Okay. So Packers Cowboys uh on the Green Bay side there's so many people you could pick. I I, I, I Jordan Love was amazing. But the person I want to focus on is Matt LaFleur who listeners to this pod know I've always been like very high on I was very high on him as a, a play caller with was with Aaron. If you were like how much is this is Aaron, how much is LaFleur, I think he's excellent. Um, I thought in this game, his total mass, like, the combination of him and Love, but what he's been doing all year was just dramatically on display. Um, You know, like, again, Love was amazing. He made some really cool throws under pressure. You saw him do all the things he's been doing all season. But when you see guys just not even open, not even wide open, so open, they look like fans who have run onto the field. Luke Musgrave is just like, <laughs> I'm me here, I'm here, I'm here. Um, that's the play caller. It's the play caller and it's the defense, you know, uh, struggling it. But but it is the play caller, I think, taking advantage of some of the defensive's tendencies, some inabilities to adjust. Um, really, what it flows from is the. Um, all of the motion that they use and then the run action and the defense's vulnerability to that run action. Um, you know, like everything kind of comes from each other. Why is Luke Musgrave wide open? Well, he's wide open because the Cowboys are very concerned about things happening in the backfield. Um, why are they concerned about things happening in the backfield? Well, the Cowboys literally, don't have like they have to play dime constantly because, and, and that's a personnel thing on their front. But uh, so when Green Bay comes out with these multiple tight ends, they can and they did run all over them. Aaron Jones was wonderful. And you end up in this situation where the whole defense is being pulled on a string to try to stop the run or whoever is leaking into the flat or whatever. And then they just lose guys. And yeah, it was just the story of the game for me. Um, it started from the open. I, I love. Love, love, love that they started with the football, too, uh, which is something that Lafleur did to the Lions as well. It is not, of course, common practice. Usually if you win the coin toss, you receive in the second half, so you have the opportunity to double dips, you know, if you're – but I think with – one, first of all, uh, since from the second half of the season on, Jordan Love had the best QBR in the NFL on opening drives – the Packers rank second in EPA per play only behind the San Francisco 49ers. But I think it was so important, Marshall, in this game in particular, because all season long, the story with the Dallas Cowboys has been if you fall behind to them, you're screwed because you can't run the ball and you can't threaten the run the way you can. So I think in this game, going into this game and saying, we're going to take the ball, we're going to score, and we the script is never going to get away from us. We are always going to have that optionality against your sus run defense. Loved it. So, anyways, so much to love about what the offense did, but I thought LaFleur was just completely in control of the entire game.
1: The moral of this show so far with with leadership uh, and LaFleur, you know, is into that, is in 2024, it's about self-awareness. Knowing who you are, knowing what you do well and 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 using that to the best of your ability. And and Matt LaFleur went into this game understanding what Dan Quinn likes to do, their limitations from a personal standpoint. Um, Dan Quinn likes to run a lot of man. He, that's why they go get corners like Stephon Gilmore and and you know Trevon Diggs and replace them with Deron Bland, guys who you trust in one on one, who can go be ball hawks that allow you to play one high over, allow you to kind of box everything in, rush the passer and be very dynamic on defense. Well, Matt Lafleur is like, all right, that's fine, but do you want to run across the field all day long knowing that Micah Parsons isn't? We're not going to let him just rush yeah. like it's one-on-one pass rush in practice like this. We're just not going to let you do that. And it's funny in in the regular season how much things change in the playoffs and more people – you either become more of who you are, you lean in, or people kind of lose sight of what got them there. And uh, LaFour decided, hey, we're going to do what got us here. And it's funny you mentioned – I love that. That's a great point of we still – this year has been the – who is Matt LaFour really? Because, yeah, when he got hired – the immediate first question is how how are you going to be able to work with Aaron Rodgers? Future Hall of Fame quarterback, Super Bowl winning quarterback, a guy who, as we've as the years have gone on, I play with him, likes to be outspoken, likes to let people know what his opinion is about things and all matter of facts of life. And so you can tell that he is he is making a Frankenstein's monster with what he wants to do, with who yeah. they have, and with what yeah. Aaron has been accustomed to. This team this year runs more motion than Aaron would ever have liked. Aaron was not a guy who loved a lot of pre-step motion. He liked things to be three by one, two by two, very, very simple. And he could manipulate you with a snap count. He he could take matchups that he wanted, but his general thing of being under center and and having a a tight end come across the field and run a, a naked boot, that's not what he preferred to do on a play in and play out basis. And We did that some, we were in Green Bay and we took shots, but generally as things progressed, he wanted to be in gun. He wanted to see the whole field. Jordan Love as a young quarterback, this is people forget and maybe they do, they don't, but I think people forgotten. This is like his rookie year. This is his first full year starting. And so the first half he was okay. The offense was okay. They had, you know, some good wins, some wins. that you're like, all right, there's something here, something here. Then they had some stinkers. And I think that, Pittsburgh game was a turning point, uh, week uh nine. Ever since then, Jordan Love is 21 oh, touchdowns and one fire. 21 and one since then. And so they have found who they are. And you talk about being 12 personnel, 13 personnel, making Dan Quinn's defense try to match because ultimately to before they there's can't. ever but you can't match, but before there's ever even a, a, a pass play or these deep explosive gains, you gotta make sure your run fits are solid. You've got to make sure you have enough bodies to account if Groomay wants to run uh, zone or duo or these pitches. You've got to make sure all that stuff's accounted for. And so you have guys who are un- outmatched personnel-wise who are thinking, "Oh, Aaron Jones is back. He's got juice. He's not a sh- he's not some schlub at running back." We've got to respect this. And then you run play action on first down when guys are still trying to get a feel for what the drive is going to look like. And then you get Luke Musgraves, who's over there by the water boy. Like hey guys on that throwback stuff like that, and then when you when all that's said and done, they've hit you on a bunch of those. Then it's it's do or die. It's it's got to have it. Jordan Love's in shotgun, yeah. and he's throwing darts down the seam to your guy trailing. And mean yeah. that that I remember seeing that play on replay, kind of redesigned. And you're like the obvious read is is J- Jalen Reed coming across. He runs this little kind of Texas kind of uh, a. A clear out route, but the real play was Jordan Love seeing they have no safety help over top. I've got it's me and my guy, and I'm going to lay it up and put it in a perfect spot with off platform with a guy in my face. And you're like, okay, he's here, they're here.
0: That's really. There, I mean, there are so many similarities between his performance and Stroud's oh. performance, um, but. It is like they're both like operating. The scheme is is working and guys are open. And then there are these moments where they elevate with crazy gutsy throws. They're seeing the field well. Jordan Love is, he's gotten really good at identifying matchups in the way you just described. You've seen that progress over the course of the season. But, you know, the scheme, I just, you know, like you talked about how with Rodgers, you know, there was an aversion to motion and some of the under center play action stuff. And it felt at times like him and LaFleur were in conflict or, you know, there, were they. there's certainly, I mean, an MVP season so that I wouldn't mischaracterize it by that saying they true. were always in conflict, but there, were, there, it was a marriage of ideas. Whereas now we're seeing, oh, Matt LaFleur is running the exact offense he wants to. I mean, uh, Jordan Lev had an over 50% play action rate in this game. The bulk of that was under center, Aaron Jones running under center ran for 107 yards and two touchdowns. It's a 56% success rate, which is extremely good. It's all clicking together in a way that is very frightening for de- it's, it's frightening for any defense, but it's especially frightening when your defense like Dallas that we know, you know, struggles against multiple tight ends on the field struggles to stop the run has struggled to stop the run all season. If you can just line up under center, you're gonna put them in compromised situations, and, and that's what we saw in this game. And and like your well, let's get to Dallas, actually. Sure. Yeah. Um, I feel like the Eagles' embarrassment kind of took the the heat off of Dallas a little bit. But what is your wolf, for the Cowboys?
1: Uh, my wolf is I. Listen, I grew up in Dallas. Uh, my cousin Robert Newhouse played for the Cowboys. There is an affinity in my heart somewhere deep down for the Cowboys. And my wolf is is Jerry Jones. My wolf is an owner who yeah. is seeing his baby, his toy, his thing that he loves so dearly just not work out anymore and we won't get morbid about you know you know the the passages of life and all that stuff and and what this means to him. but you have a guy that you hire Mike McCarthy he goes forty two and twenty five It's nothing to shake a stick at, but if you're Jerry Jones, you need and want more. And to see that happen and to fall apart in such a dramatic way at home, um, you know, you you find a diamond in the rough in Dak Prescott. He's played an incredible season. The people who want to – you know, he's had a bad game and he's had poor games versus really good defenses and good teams. So that's a legitimate criticism of Dak Prescott. But the season he's had has been a really good season. It's been – and so the people that, A, you want to get rid of him, A, you, you can't. You owe him too much money. But B – in this life, in this game, when you're getting rid of coaches and coordinators and and, and prime time players, you not having a plan for what to replace them with to me is is the big part of it. So who, you, yeah, you get rid of Dak after the next year. What are you gonna, who are you going to go? Like who who's going to replace him and give you what you need? So I think Dak is their guy. He's got to be their guy, honestly. But uh, it's 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 tough that Mike McCarthy. You know, he took his time off. He he hired analytics people to really dive deep into what he was missing. And how to round out his coaching style and his leadership style, and what we end up with is Dak Prescott in shotgun, running all go special. Uh, it's you know, yeah, and, it's,
0: and I, it's 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 night. It's throwback, it, man. It's and especially in contrast to you know, I mean, when you look at the top the teams that have made it, it's all these Shanahan guys. I mean, it's not all of them, but you know, we talked about Detroit. Talk about Houston. We talk about Green Bay, uh, the Rams. You know, or who like the Niners are coming in. Like, and then you watch the Cowboys, the Bills were the Eagles. It's very different. The Eagles is obviously is a totally different offense. They run that sort of power spread offense. The Cowboys, it's more of this West Coast. It's the stuff Mike McCarthy's been doing forever. With some, you know, there's some motion, there's some modifications, but you it's not like like everything we were talking about with Green Bay. It's not. And, and you have a, but the, the tricky thing is marshall it, Dak is more like rogers than these young court like he his True. ass he's he's good at a lot of things but one of his greatest assets is similar to rogers the the you know he just want the the mental mastery yeah. side of it right like he doesn't need to be babied right but
1: maybe of does just,
0: yeah well maybe it would help against i
1: I think it's ultimately not about, you know, blanket statement needs to be babied or given stuff, but you need to like I think as an office coordinator, if I was ever gonna do this, I'm looking for my quarterback, whether he's a rookie or he's a 15-year vet, I'm looking to give him five to ten no-brainer plays a game. Take some load off of here we go, I gotta drop back and process uh, you know, four four wide versus is this cover six? Is this three invert? Is this, you know, whatever this is, because that's difficult. Over and over, these defenses have, they have adjusted, and there's a lot of offensive coordinators that are adjusting back to, hey, under center, we're going to, you know, we're going to disguise our run and pass game, make them look similar. We're going to, you know, Jordan Love only threw the ball 21 times. We're not going to try to drop back and throw the ball 60 times because the less times we're dropping back, that's less times a pass rush is going to win. That's less times my quarterback has to process the entire field. And, yeah, that's what we pay him for. But if you take a little bit off of that load off his shoulders, your team will be better for it. That means you got to coach a little bit differently. That means your Waffle House menu has to shrink by about three or four inches. So be it. But are we trying to win games here? Are we trying to go on runs? Are we trying to maximize the talent that we have right now, not the talent we wish we had, not the scheme or the matchup we wish we had, the self-awareness of like what are what's happening right now and how do I cater all the people that I have injuries, free agents, all this new guys that we signed three weeks ago that, cause we're just, we're, we're beaten up and we're bloody. Like to me, that is, there's a level of just like arrogance and a, and a level of humility on either side of the spectrum of my way is the way it'll work. We'll figure it out. We'll, it'll, it'll work itself out. And Hey, I'm not above this process of like finding, the 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 weak spots, these little chunks. It's what, what's it called? Arbitrage. It's it's, it's real time arbitrage in every aspect of the game. And there's coaches that don't see it that way.
0: And there's really a connective fiber with Philadelphia, and obviously they're you know division rivals meeting the same inglorious ends. Even though schematically they're very different, both both offense and defense wildly different. But the problem is similar, which is both offenses are. We do what we do because we have better players, yep. offenses. In Cowboys' case, it's oriented around Dak and CD, and uh, and that's just not working in the NFL right now. And then defensively, they actually, I think, both ultimately look by the end. Philadelphia had a million problems on defense, but both teams didn't have linebackers. Mm. Literally Dallas like just did ran out of them. Okay. And and you know, when you look at that and you're like, okay, Leighton Andresh uh Layton got hurt early in the season. You know, the Eagles lost Nicobe Dean. But were they really really like
1: Before that, banking
0: yeah. on that? Yeah. Like did you come in with enough depth because and this is something I want to get into. I keep hinting at, you know, I, I do think off ball linebacker is more important than it's been in a long time in the mm-hmm. NFL, but it's especially important in the NFC. And we always think about that vis-a-vis San Francisco, but the Packers certainly showed I don't think you can play the Packers unless you have good off ball linebackers. Fortunately, San Francisco does, which will uh, certainly help them in that regard. But. You they, like a lot of these teams, you cannot play without uh talent at the second level. And I think when both Dallas and Philadelphia look back on their season, they'll see that it was a huge mistake to to not be more invested in that position.
1: Yeah, we traditionally think about you know the the prime cornerstone positions, and it's been repeated corner, pass rusher, tackle, quarterback. But a linebacker like Fred Warner, who can fill holes? He can read. He can read and process really quickly. I think he is more akin to like a Luke Keekley than anyone in the league right now. And oh yeah, he can cover your tight end in Tampa two down the seam across the field. He has to be dynamic. Anything less than that, and I'm either if you if you're not a guy who's going to tackle in the hole, I'm going to run right at you. I'm going to get alignment up to the second second level. I'm going to make you pay over and over again. Or if you can't run, I'm running my Tight ends who have also become freaks in front of our eyes, right at you with an option route. I'm going to let him play basketball. I'm going to make your life miserable. And a guy like Fred Warner, who we now see, I think the value is that he is is completely dynamic and worthy of his all pro honors because he's just different. And you need a guy like that. They obviously don't grow on trees, but especially if you're Dallas, if you lose your linebackers and you're weak in that position. Yeah, you're it's barbecue chicken. You're you, uh, a guy like Matt Lafour sees that on film and he's like, oh, our, uh, it's, it's I already know what I'm gonna do. Yeah, the Telestrator.
0: 14, yeah. 33 or whatever is not it felt like it's just, yeah. it was, yeah, and it was it wasn't, that's, that's the thing about Dallas, man. Like, yeah, if you'd won that game, great. San Francisco was gonna beat you. <laughs> They're never gonna beat San Francisco in yep. this current iteration. Yep. And I think uh, just to kind of wrap this conversation everything dallas does this offseason has to be oriented to how do we not get our kicked by the niners Mm. and this team would have gotten their kicked by the niners okay they did in the regular season they would have gotten kicked by the niners again in the playoffs i really it's very hard for me to imagine that not happening with their current build so they need to really change their identity um because success for this team, and you're right, I think in saying Jerry Jones is a loser, is making it to the Super Bowl, and they're not going to make it to the Super Bowl unless they can get over the boogeyman. <laughs> um, okay. Let's Move on to uh, Dolphins Chiefs. Um, I'll go first with my woof. Okay. It's Tua Tagovailoa who had one of his worst games, really struggled in the cold weather, same it's very similar to games where he struggled in the past middle of the field throws aren't there some some cases he's sailing them because of pressures uh arm strength commonly becomes a factor in terms of not just throwing downfield but throwing outside the numbers uh lack of second reaction ability comes to the fore. now um i think the conversation that i want to have about it is the one that you're already seeing on the shows but it's one that i still don't really know have an answer to marshall which is i really i'm still trying to figure out what i think miami should do with him and his contract Uh, you know you're going at the fifth year option year but uh the the miami needs kind of needs to do a contract for cap space they don't have to but it would certainly help them to open up some cash space so if you do a long-term contract you can push sign to a big signing bonus push that money down the road Um, you know, Christian Wilkins is up. There's some other players. He's probably the best one. (sighs) I have gone back and forth on this (laughs) because I don't think it's easy. I don't think it's easy because your likelihood of upgrading, upgrading from him is not high. I truly believe that. And some of that is, you know, they're not, if they were like, if they were picking first overall, we'd be like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. They're not obviously. Um, and, and when you talk about guys who would replace him, it's not evident to me that they would be better. Mm. However, I do also think you're, you are seeing a ceiling or a wall and I wonder whether he will ever get past those things that, that I just talked about. So I, I, I think that their Chris Greer, their GM is just in a very, very difficult spot. What would you do?
1: You know, gosh, that's – I don't think anyone can answer, but, like, I I pay him. I do that as soon as possible, and but I don't inhibit getting out of it in two to three years because you're right. He's just – what we've seen is that he has very hard limits on what what he can do. And this game proves that without ideal scenarios and ideal situations, he – the, the, what we're talking about with Jordan Lev and CJ Stroud that we're, we're seeing and now they have a whole career to play out, but they are guys who will take their, the scheme, the base level of whatever they're doing, and then yeah. they can elevate on top of it in moments. In yeah. Moments. Similar
0: scheme too, by the way, similar DNA. Yeah. It's such a great comp. Yeah. It's such a great, we, comp. what we saw yeah.
1: was Tua was like, if, if, if things weren't perfect for him, w- this listen, when he was at Alabama, he looked pretty fairly athletic. I think truly that hip injury Has inhibited any kind of escapability and extending the play that he might have had in him, because you're seeing him run. You know, there's nobody, nothing downfield. He's gone through one, two, three reads, and he's going to scramble to try to get something, get out of bounds or whatever. And he looks, it looks labored, and it looks slow. And yeah, it's negative 22 degree wind chill. But guess who else was running around extending plays? Patrick Mahomes. He was doing it himself. So it wasn't like that was the most inhibiting thing ever. Yeah. No one likes that cold. It, it makes everything, you know, cinch up. But Tua, I was like, after the year we went through last year and the year before with his head and the way he was taking hits, every time he runs and it looks like there's going to be contact, I'm still kind of like not sure, you know, what's going to happen. Now he put on weight. Maybe that's part of it to protect him from these hits. He learned how to quote, unquote, fall. You know, I, I like to think there's like some dojo where it's like this falling school. With like a with I think it's like literally what, what he say, did. Like this is how you fall and roll or whatever. He, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is that what it is? But, <laughs> like a judo fall.
0: But, but more so
1: than that, you know, the even the ball to Tyreek the touchdown was underthrown by a lot. Yeah, and yeah. you're like, well, okay, that's the best play they had all season, all all game. And before that, he had completed like seven or eight passes that looked everything just looked strained. And Kansas City was doing some things. You know, Spags did his. Cover one, little whirly yeah, dervish that, was, that everyone's that talking about. That's effed up. It's effed up, but ultimately it's just spots. And as a quarterback, they know it's just spots. spots. You, you yeah. ignore the numbers. If it ends up still too high, it's still too high. And Tua looked truly just like bewildered by that. And that to me was a sign of everything that happened before and to come. And if Mike McDaniels isn't able to scheme, you know, I looked at Tua's yeah. passing chart this year all of the, the explosive plays are down the middle and to the right, mostly to Tyreek and Jalen, the entire left side of the field. If I'm a defense, I'm neglecting it. I'm not sure he can make a, a pinpoint pass, pass you know, 15 yards down on the left side of the field. And if, if Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill aren't full strength, I'm playing top down and I'm making Tua beat me over the middle with questionable arm strength and questionable action in the cold. And then I'm making him think twice after Mike McDaniel schemes a perfect – you know, motioning eye open, that runs mm-hmm. its course in the playoffs when things just aren't pretty. When they've had all week to just focus on what you've done for seventeen weeks.
0: I think you mentioned Love and uh, Stroud, and I think if you're a Dolphins fan, you watch those quarterbacks, and the the contrast is evident. And you start asking those questions. I was also thinking of another quarterback, which is Jared Goff, mm. who you know. People question whether how much of he, he how much he benefited from the McVeigh offense, and then that ran its course, and McVeigh moved on in the same way that now it's being raised. Maybe like I, I saw—I don't remember if it was Steve Ruiz or someone put on Twitter like, "Who's going to be um, Mike McDaniel's Matt Stafford?" Right? Like when he decides yeah. to like move on to a quarterback who can well, uh, do that, more things the thing on him. That the
1: made that situation with Golf untenable was the fact that they paid him league leading yeah. money, and so, and so that.
0: The- There's a parallel. However, Marshall, Jared Goff's in the divisional round now. He got, right. So, but, and I think this is where the comp falls apart a little bit. Jared's limitations weren't armed. They weren't ability. They were play under pressure. Mm -hmm. And he still struggles
1: under pressure.
0: But you can control the situation if you have, as Detroit does, a very, very good offensive line. Whereas two of the limitations are more physical Mm -hmm. so the question is okay well how and I think this is the same question you have to ask with your Jared Goffs and Detroit is going to have to ask that question as they decide whether to pay him by the way and extend him how how long can we scaffold this yeah you know like how long can we maintain this situation because if if you can tell me that you're always going to have Hill and Waddle then I actually I'm like great two is a great quarterback to play with those players but you know
1: Tyreek's about to be 30.
0: Guys get hurt. It's 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 a tricky one. So I I, I tend to take this, the cop out answer that the devil is in the details. And if they could do a Jimmy Garoppolo style, to your point, like a two year, like it looks big, but it's not that big. I think that would be palatable. But I have no idea what uh, Tua wants and what what they'll if they'll draw a hard line. So that's a question be for you.
1: I have a question for you. Difficult. Are we asking this same question in the same way? If Miami. Doesn't lose to Tennessee and beats Buffalo and has home field. Are we like we assume this game goes differently, right? Well, yes, and that's, Miami, that's another. But like, we'll, we, but we also don't have this glaring case, right? That's fresh in our minds of him playing in the right. cold, and so. But
0: he's gonna have to play in the cold again eventually. To, to go but back like, to what I was saying about right. the scaffolding. Like Detroit, they can try to control, and they, by the way, having Jared Goff also can't win in the cold. Yeah, yeah. But they're they're able to keep him out of the cold all the way through, even if you go to San Francisco, it's not that bad. You know, you're in the AFC East, man. You're gonna, you're going to Buffalo, you're going to New York, you're going to New England. It's, I mean, I know I understand that Detroit also plays with this, but I'm just saying like Kansas city, uh, it's just, that's, that has to factor into this too. And I don't know. I hope that they can work out something like what we just said because I think that's what's best for Tua. It's best for him to stay there. It's the best situation for him as a
1: quarterback. You can't discount feeling the way he's felt after the Brian Flores situation. Like having a coach literally put his arm around you. I can speak from experience or lack thereof of when you feel like someone has bought into you. Um, and is invested in you, especially at that position, especially when what he came from. There's uh, a tremendous value in that. And I'm not talking about taking tens of million dollars less value, particularly, but a value and comfortability and, and a known known from Tua's side and from the dolphin side. Now, to his agent, they, agents aren't here to let to, for feel good stories. They're not here for you to take less. The rest of the NFLPA doesn't want you to take less, especially as a quarterback. That's not how they want things to work. But if you're Tua, what is it worth being in a place like with a guy like Mac McDaniels that you could tell cares about Mm -hmm. you is invested in like your growth as a man and like a leader. It's like the stark opposite of Brian Flores, who I'm not sure would have, you know, talked to him when he's getting a cup of coffee in the, in the break room, so to speak. Um, and what is that worth, uh, both to the Dolphins and to Tua, and how much right. off of, you know, we're looking at Derek Carr making upper 30, high 30 millions, Kirk Cousins in the 40s, Deshaun Watson, like the top, to be a top 10 paid quarterback, it's going to cost a lot.
0: It's a lot. It's a lot of money. And that's, and and it's it's one thing for Mike McDaniel, Mike McDaniel, I always speak Daniels McDaniel the It's literally the name I screw up the most. It's one thing for him to say, "I believe in you," and, and whatever, you know, and to and to. And I, I, I truly believe it. I think he sure. genuinely loves and respects him. On them. a rookie deal, yes. On a rookie <laughs> deal, I was going to say, it's, "Things change very quickly," yeah. and um, I I can't imagine he was thrilled with the way things went down in Kansas City. Now he bears some of that responsibility sure. too. I mean, I think, um, the run game in particular needs to evolve in a way that it hasn't. Um, okay. Speaking of Kansas City, I gave you them. You get to choose a winner.
1: Uh, winner for country. me for Kansas City is, is kind of out of left field. To me, it's it's Steve Spagnuolo. They that Dude. that defense has carried them, and and we we all the all the the talking points and the news goes with Mahomes and their lack of production. When are they going to put it together? Um, they are who they are right now. This season, they are they have been who they have been. Um, their lack of a, a, true, a true number one that can get open for Pat outside of Travis Kelsey has been apparent. It's not changing. We saw glimmers of hope with Rasheed Rice. It feels like he's figuring it out. Um, and, you know, God forbid they stop running him on over routes. Like, please, just spam Rasheed Rice running over routes and let yeah. him put the ball in his hand and let him get Yak. Um, but the Chiefs, who, are the, who they are on offense, but Steve Spagnolo has, you know, I, I remember he was our, our defense coordinator when I was with the Giants. And I really enjoyed him because you knew at the very least he, he was going to put pressure on the opposing offense. Now – Sometimes that pressure was he blitzed seven guys and they hit you over the top. And maybe that was just like you didn't have the corner uh, secondary ability to to run that kind of stuff. But the controlled aggression of spags and making you make a decision on offense, making you figure things out with under pressure, I always appreciated. And this defense has been keeping Kansas City afloat. and, and a complete reversal of what they've been the last five years. And I give him all the credit in the world. Chris Jones has been playing lights out, even though he doesn't have the huge sack numbers. Uh, Charles who I'll give him his, his praise. He's a guy – This who, last game, he, he was huge in this last game. He trained down Man, here in yeah. Austin, a, a former UT guy who signed in Kansas City to play in games like this, as he has said. Um, Legereus Sneed, come on now. Like, the the clips of him just
0: – The jam.
1: gaming. jamming <laughs> – Tyreek Hill into the ground. Like people, people want to, are going to like see that and say, yeah, it's a good play. Like, no. Do you understand how hard that is? Do you understand how difficult that is to do multiple times a game? Uh, I give Spags so much credit. They were ready. um, And the uh, offense that put, that embarrassed people all year, they, they made them look pedestrian.
0: I love your point about the players because, you know, we, we love highlighting Spag's diabolical blitzes. The two-to-one-to-two to to two coverage rotation was one of the funny – it was extremely funny. Um, and he is a sensational individual game planner for all types of quarterbacks, all types of offenses. Um, and we should talk about him the way – I feel like Mike McDonald's got a lot of attention this year. Steve Sabanolo is right there with him. Those two dudes are absolutely – And I don't know if, by the way, Spagnuolo is maybe he's not interested in being a head coach anymore. I don't know, but like, you know, if you want to improve your defense, certainly. But I also think he deserves a lot of credit for the development of these young players. Mm -hmm. You you mentioned Omenahu. I was just watching George Carloftis in this game. That year one to two leap with him Mm -hmm. rushing the passer. I mean, he's always um, uh, he's always been very like physically strong. And he's got those like Marcus and I time talking about these like very violent hands mm. and, and he had those as a prospect. But in this game particularly, you're seeing, oh, he's developing like a full set of tools, the pass rusher. He has a plan. He is affecting the quarterback in a way he did not last year. We've the young players in the secondary, they drafted in all rounds, you know, and later round guys are playing. Trent McDuffie's now one of the probably three best nickel corners in the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and like that's again, you know, like what they did was, in from a team building perspective, you know, they uh, Chris Jones is is the the guy on that defense, but they've been there's so many young players on defense that they invested in all, at all points in the draft, and so many of them have developed and gotten better and better to the point where. This is one of the best defenses in the NFL, in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, I, I love that you picked Spags as your winner from this game. That's a great pick. I think
1: earlier in the season, too, we, you know, again, all of the talk went to when is the Kansas City offense going to figure it out? Meanwhile, under the radar, the defense was just keeping yeah. them afloat. Was them carrying Was carrying them. And we are like, all right, well, how much of this is, you know, uh, just early season, you know, uh, di- being disconcerted early in the season. Um, but no, it was, it was Spags and his scheme and his guys taking a leap. Uh, a guy like Nick Bolton, who is turning into a, one of those linebackers we talked about that you need to, you need multiple, what's it, the five tool in baseball. You need multiple tools as a, as a middle linebacker. Now you just can't survive without one of those guys on your roster. And, you know, They've stayed pretty healthy as well, which is an incredible have, on defense.
0: That's it, quite a contrast with Buffalo right now. This, by the way, as I look know, ahead to that game.
1: Yep, this time of year, that's so important. Of just mm-hmm. you know, Buffalo. Uh, God bless him. I played with AJ Klein. Just signed him two weeks ago off the off the street. <laughs> when
0: they said his name, I was like, "What?"
1: He's, he's familiar with the scheme, but like ultimately, like that's that's you know yeah. that's going to be be a problem. Um, in the, in the next like round. That. And so, yeah, it gives Spags all the credit. His his defense has always been aggressive, but getting to be aggressive with guys who now are getting it and who are in their second, third year in the system is yeah. a whole nother ball game.
0: 100%. Um, and that is, yeah, with the young, all the young players, uh, that's, it's definitely makes sense. More time. They've gotten better. They've gotten better playing together. They're, even things like, I know, again, we're joking about the two to one to two, but the, the ability to execute those disguises in coverage and the way the pressure works with um, the pass rush works with the coverage is, is spectacular. Um, okay. Wrapping with Texans Browns. Uh, I want to end with a winner. So you give me your wolf as Lenny walks in uh, <laughs> from the Brown side of the equation.
1: Uh, the wolf, uh, the wolf is the, um, the big Brown elephant in the room of what do you do now with Deshaun Watson? What do you do at the quarterback position I don't that? I think
0: they have a choice. Or
1: you just got <laughs> replacement level play from Joe Flacco yeah. off the street, um, and your quarterback who is owed another 140 million. He ain't
0: nothing they get out of. It, so. it, it, he is it, APY is just yeah. only
1: going to go up, or you can kick the can and then hit get an 80 million dollar cap hit one year. Like it's they're they're so you know hamstrung by him if he's not going to be any remotely and it's not even that he's been when he's been back middle tier it's he's been demonstrably bad and you know you give him the rust you know excuse that that for first season he came back later in the year um they weren't necessarily in contention and you're like all right let him play food let him practice let him get back in the swing of things because uh, taking a year and a half off of football is no joke i i i debated when i was contemplating hey lenny what's up retirement um, you know, and it's just like there's just levels of rust that you can come overcome, and and some that it's just it's just difficult to be out for that long. And so you give him a little bit of leeway there. But the beginning of the season, his processing—it's not even you know arm talent or whatever his mobility in the pocket. Yeah. You're you're worried about what he's seeing pre-snap and post-snap, and how he's how he you know is actually implementing that in their offense. An offense that had Nick Chubb most of the year. Unfortunately, he got hurt. An offense that had you know two incredible uh, tackles in, in, in a book ending, a really, really good offensive line who you lose. So they've gotten hurt and it's not, it's not been great, but Deshaun Watson was not taking like this run that Joe Flacco had on. Uh, if Deshaun Watson's there, I'm not sure they're in the playoffs because of the way that he was playing of what he showed us. And you're out of options. You, you I'm not sure what you do.
0: I think it leaves them to your look as you just laid out with just difficult questions why did this look so much better with the now 39 year old off the couch is it, it and if you're kevin stefanski who was getting you know coach of the year or mm-hmm. buzz we'll see what hap- happens there is it, is it is your offense just not well suited to the quarterback you brought in mm-hmm. and you, you know in the beginning of the year you saw there this attempt to kind of marry some of the styles but then with Joe Flacco he was able to call exactly the offense he wanted in some ways going and and who, you who probably was this, enjoyed who,
1: this it this new player uh, David Njoku where where was yeah, he yeah, for the right. first 10 weeks of the season I'm just like wait oh, what happened I mean, the
0: play action passing game was phenomenal um in a way that it just wasn't with Watson and you think again with like the healthy offensive line right. and Chubb it should have been And so I think it's going to be another off season of questions for them. Um, But they don't, unlike some of the other teams we talked about they don't have a choice. (laughs) Um, They made their bed. Um, And yeah. So anyways, it was a fun season for them. I, you know, and I, I feel like also like, I gotta say like this too, like for Browns fans who have not, who have not only not enjoyed you know, Watson as a quarterback, but also like felt conflicted rooting for the team because of his baggage and the, you know, the, the sexual assault allegations and harassment and all that it I know from talking to some of them like they it was like a relief to have Joe Vlacco as quarterback, not just because he was cooking, but it was like, great, I don't have to I can watch this team and not have all these like weird Mixed feelings about it, and and you know the player versus the person, and all that, and now you're just kind of back to where where you were. So
1: yeah, and then unfortunately tough. that un- overshadows just a historic year for their defense, a defense that you know by yeah. by metrics was up there with kind of the the Tampa Bay. Oh, two defense and those Ravens defense. I mean, the way that they were playing was, you know, a defense that was leading to points in so many different ways. And you've got JOK, who's a, a, a traditional oh, a box safety who we thought, so good. we thought the game had phased those guys out. A safety who who, who, is, who is operating like a linebacker and who's just really aggressive, but he makes a lot of tackles for loss. He's got an incredible um vision and just decision-making and he's just firing through holes and you love to watch him play miles Garrett, you know, being in just an incredible, um, dynamic pass rusher who
0: no, keep, keep giving serious football analysis while my dog <laughs> gets in my face. We're
1: Lenny, are you, uh, is it, you know, what you time? signed up for, you must yeah. go outside.
0: It's, his meal time. It's his meal time. Guess, yeah. Right. Okay. Well, okay. Maybe we'll use that as a moment to, 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 to wrap okay. here. Um, so the Houston Texans obviously won the game. I mean, you could point clearly to CJ Stroud, who was wonderful, to Bobby Slowick, who I feel like if you if teams weren't interviewing for a head coach after watching this game, they probably, uh, you know, and what he did to Jim Schwartz's the defense you were just talking about was uh, quite a pantsing in some ways. Nico Collins you could point to, uh, who was awesome. He's been awesome all year, but was awesome in this game against man coverage. Uh, but the, the winner that I wanted to single out is uh, D'Amico Ryans, not as um, just you know head coach, but what he has done with this defense, which has kind of been a little bit overshadowed by CJ Stroud being as amazing as he's been. And the defense has gone through some growing pains and they've had bad games. But what I loved about this performance from them was you saw some of the things you've seen all year in terms of the tackling, the rallying to the football, mm-hmm. which are very San Francisco ish, but you also saw, I thought some really smart play calling mm-hmm. and adjust in game adjustments. And I, and I think with Ryan's, this was something he was very good at in San Francisco. And I don't know if he got enough credit for it because of the talent at his disposal. Now we're seeing him with there's, there's definitely talent. I mean, you know, and, this, on this defense, but there are also holes. And I think he's done a fantastic job with the players he has. Um, in this particular game, a couple of things. You know, the Texans defense has struggled to stop play action all year. I was very worried about that going into you know against the aforementioned Browns play action passing attack. And something you saw is they aggressively played the pass. Mm. Um, Cleveland is not a good running team anymore. They, they weren't once Nick Chubb went out, and because mostly because of offensive line injuries, Houston has a very good uh, rushing defense. So uh, on the season, they Texans played with a lot, very few light boxes in this game. They bumped their light box rate to 70%, which on average for the season, it was 37, which is amongst the least. 70 would be at the top of the NFL. Um, So I thought that was notable. In the first quarter, they were playing a lot of single high, 80% single high, but in the remaining three quarters, they switched to playing more split safety. Again, just smart in-game adjustments, recognizing that they were getting shredded Um, When they had a single high safety and then just timely pressures of the eight blitzes, they didn't blitz a lot, but the eight blitzes they called six resulted in pressures on Flacco who threw for only 25 yards uh, and 3.6 yards per attempt when blitz. So just top to bottom, really smart game planning, really smart adjustments, excellent performance from a defense. Under, of course, a defensive-minded head coach.
1: I love that, and like the the ability to adjust and then trust your adjustments, and like and and not be so stubborn about it uh, is an incredible point to make. Because yeah, they were playing man. You yeah. could tell that they didn't. They weren't going to respect the run. They're going to make Cleveland really like assert themselves in the run game. Cleveland playing with two backup tackles, um, and not and someone who's not Nick Chubb. Uh, they're going to make you beat us there. And then yeah, they're going to play man. They're going to for the first time I think in mo- most of the year Derek Stenling is going to shadow and yes. receiver you yes. saw him following Amari Cooper around and like, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll take one guy out. We'll try to erase him. And what that lead to, it led to some Njoku explosives. And they're like, all right. Njoku, who we haven't seen, you know, for most of the season, Joe Flacco seems to love him and they were getting him open. They're scheming him open that one down the seam. I mean, the safety was there. The safety just didn't think Njoku is going to run a four or five right by him. And so they did that. And then what did they do? They reverted to, to split safeties, more zone. And for a while there, Joe Flacco was shredding the zone, but shredding the zone at six yards, seven yards a clip is yes. is something that I can live with. I can live with yes. that all day long. Because again, your backup tackles, I've got Will Anderson and and Goodyard who were goodard, excuse me, who were getting yeah. Joe Flacco's not his, you know, his time to release was 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 high before that and got lower by almost, you know, half a second um, when, they went to, when they went to zone. And so that adjustment, it could have been easy to say, you know, listen, we practiced all week for to play a lot of man. You guys have been working on it. Um, let's, let's stick with that. Even with the explosive, you know, one you can't score three touchdowns at once. They're not going to do all this. But he's like, no, we're going to completely – shut down this offense and give them nothing to go to and make Joe Flacco beat us, make two backup tackles beat us and make someone other than Amari Cooper beat us. And that's to me, again, humility, the self-awareness thing of a guy who is not yet 40, who's leading his team, who's not afraid to say, you know what, this ain't working, scrap it. And uh, I think it's a drastic uh, difference in leadership styles and it's, it's playing out in real time with these coaches. And again, you don't want to, say too much without knowing the, the inside of their brain and what they're talking about in the facility, but that's bearing itself out on game day. You can see it happen in real time. And that's all we have to go off of is what you're choosing to do with the information that you've seen prior. And so I will give them all the credit in the world for that.
0: Uh, yeah. And such a great uh, synopsis of the approach to Joe Flacco, because that's the Browns were killing people with explosives. So they said, you know what? Our four man rush is better than your offensive line. Mm-hmm. And you got a quarterback who's gonna throw us the football at some point. Let's be real. Yeah. So let's just make him throw it a lot, and uh, or not make him throw it a lot, but like let's like just keep a lid on it. Tackle—they're good tacklers. And if there's a theme to this entire podcast as we come to an end, I think it is the difference between coaches who came into this weekend without humility, mm. who said we do what we do, versus I think all of the coaches and players, but we've praised, have been the ones who have been um willing to adjust their game plans or to lean to find schematic advantages and those are the ones ultimately who are rewarded which it feels like a pretty good place to end this podcast marshall thank you so much for coming on this was so much fun i feel like i learned a lot um I remind people to go follow you as it's, it's, yeah, it's m newhouse 73 at
1: m newhouse 73 on uh twitter instagram and I-, I send some tweets while i'm watching the game and eventually it'll be Producing a little content, trying to get myself involved, but I appreciate you. It's been it's been an absolute pleasure.
0: This is fun talking about. Um, you can watch this on YouTube as well. youtube.com at Mina Kimes. And as a reminder, podcast listeners who are in Vegas, who are going to Vegas, or going to the Super Bowl, um, the link for the live show, which I'm only sending out, we'll put in the link in the notes for this podcast. It's bit l y slash mina fox i think yeah uh
1: there will be hats
0: sorry mina fox is right mina fox i like that uh all right well this was amazing and i will be back later this week with my friend shiel Capadia previewing a very exciting divisional round